Hello and welcome to the Book Forge. I'm Millie Hill and I'm working on my fourth non-fiction book and sharing the process with you from the initial proposal all the way to publication and beyond. As I research the book I'll be talking to a variety of book authors, writers and experts on women's health. This podcast is part of my substack, The Book Forge, where you can subscribe and follow my research and writing progress. Today, I'm talking to author, Sunday Times bestselling ghostwriter and fellow substacker, Anna Wharton. Anna and I have connected over our similar substacks. In hers, The Book Room, you can follow her progress as she sets up a real-life bookshop. We decided to have a chat about the publishing industry, the money involved for both authors and retailers, and what needs to change to make it not just fair, but viable. So hi, Anna, and thanks for coming on my podcast. Oh, hi, you're so welcome. Thanks for coming. So um, we follow each other's substacks, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why we're talking today, because I've been following um, your substack, which is really fascinating, because it's all about how you're starting to run a bookshop. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I saw that, pop into my inbox I was like that's uh, that's intriguing so it's it's kind of a similar idea your substack to mine I think because I'm saying come and follow me while I write a book and you're saying yeah. come and follow me while I set up a bookshop and so mm-hmm. we've kind of got the same sort of you know n- bare reality kind of concept of this is what yeah. it's actually like going on yeah. <laughs> um but today I actually referenced your substack in my substack because today I wrote about um what writers get paid and I know this week you wrote about your sort of the financial side of of setting up a bookshop so you messaged me after I told you about the book after the I told you about the um my sub stack and said oh I've got a lot to say about that so I said great well yeah it's funny because I I was actually halfway through reading your um sub stack today when you messaged me and said oh there's a mention of you in here and I hadn't actually got to that bit yet so um yeah no I it's been kind of for me the theme of the week actually this kind of this I and I've been talking to a lot of other writers about it like how are we meant to survive um can I just preface this conversation with one thing that this is not a sob story and I realize that a lot of people are earning a lot less and are doing jobs that they don't wish to do or having to earn money in ways that they don't wish to earn money and um and People are using food banks and, you know, life's really hard. So we're just here to talk about writing and and earning money through writing. But I don't want it to sound like, you know, we don't recognise that other people are doing things that are, that we are actually lucky in a way to be able to earn money from writing. And some people are doing terrible things to earn money to get through these times. Um, I think that's a really good point. That's a really good point. It is a huge privilege to be able to, um, But that kind of gets used against you, doesn't it? A lot. Yeah. And I think what my post today was about was about how there's a sort of real misconception. And it was brought to reality this week by this idiot called Bill on Twitter. But (laughs) I've had it a lot, you know, of this idea that once you've written a book, you know, that you, you know, you don't ever have to worry about money again, sort of thing. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have written as many books as I have if that's the case, because I would have just lucked out on the first one. So, so I, I was in journalism for years and years. I feel like I got kind of choked out of journalism because of the whole pay on publication thing, which means that you write something that you've been commissioned to write and then 
if at the editor's whim they use it you get paid if they don't you don't so I don't think people realize that that's how journalism works as well and things can get spiked and then you get a kill fee sometimes you don't even get that I've got things that I wrote years ago that have were commissioned and have never run but I've never received payment for them so I moved out of journalism and into books and I've written I don't I keep forgetting how many books but I think it's maybe like eight books non-fiction I'm a ghostwriter and um and there's been two Sunday Times bestsellers one that was uh, long listed for the Orwell Prize I've also written a novel so you know I'm a kind of a writer of caliber and for those listening I've got air quotes right now <laughs> um, and I am also in air quotes a successful writer but it's still really really hard to make a living there was a deal that was done for me this week for another book so this is book nine or whatever ten it's it was really hard for my agent to kind of squeeze money out the publishers and they were kind of quite proudly said but yeah we only pay ghostwriters this amount of money I think the figure that they quoted was ten thousand okay so ten thousand pound they they were very proud that they they managed to pay writers that much money and as you pointed out in your blog that money doesn't come in one lump to live off. That mm. comes over three or four payments. So you get quarter of it on signature, quarter on delivery, quarter on hardback um, publication and a quarter on paperback publication. Remember that those two things can happen a year after one another. And actually from the delivery of the manuscript, it can be a whole year until the hardback publication. So potentially that £10,000 minus 15% plus VAT for your agent is then paid over potentially three years. It's not possible. It's not yeah. possible to live. Um, then you've got to pay tax on it as well and yeah, sort your own pension if you want one, which I don't have one. And I don't you know. have anything like that. And I don't, and I'm also a single parent household. So there isn't somebody else um, paying my bills. Um, lots of other people that I know who are writers, they have another, a second person um, paying the bills. I don't have that. For the last two years, I didn't receive any maintenance either. So I've literally been living off my credit card. I filed a manuscript in September on, on the deadline date, and I haven't been paid for that yet. So it's nearly Christmas and it had to then be read by the editor. I have to do the edits, has to go through all the sort of other editing processes and it has to go to accounts. And so three months later, I'm waiting to get paid so what do you live on for those three months? Do they do they care? I mean, yeah, I, I sometimes think, I mean, this is, goes beyond publishing, but I do sometimes think that people who are employed don't have any frame of reference for being self-employed. And that's not a criticism. And it's probably works the other way around as well. But I do find like, I think that happens sometimes when people ask you to go and speak the people that ask you to do that are normally employed and so I don't think they realize look if I come and do that that's going to be two days of my life and Mm. I'm not I don't have a salary I don't have any other you know I I think maybe there's an element of that because I think a lot of the people who are holding the purse strings in publishing are maybe employed and so therefore they get their regular (laughs) monthly salary and it all gets sorted out for them their tax gets paid they don't have to think about it and they've got that security whereas when you're self-employed it's so different isn't it yeah it's completely different and it it used to be I always preferred to be self-employed because I could earn more if I worked a bit harder but now it doesn't really work like that you know one of the reasons that I decided to try and open a bookshop and I've had this pop-up bookshop for the last uh, well it's been about six weeks now and it and it finishes in two weeks um, is because I I needed another way of making money. I needed something to 
to fall back on for when though I, I am between these contracts for books. But that's also been really interesting because it's really, really hard. And I did a blog this week, which you read, which was just completely honest about what it's like to be a retailer and what it's like to be waiting for customers and people cross the threshold and your little heart lights up and then they ask you to get a book out the window and you dash to get the book out the window and then they say and it's 6.99 and you're thinking my god I could have like a whole two pound from that if you you know if you buy it and then they say okay I hand it back to you okay I'll think about it and it's really hard you're just like it's (laughs) 6.99 like that means so much you know and um, so I see I see how writers are kind of choked in the industry and the, and our fees are coming down and down and down. And then I see at the other end, retailers are also having a really hard time. And the overheads are, I went to look at an actual shop so I could open a physical store permanently. And the business rates are actually more than the rent. Um, it makes the council make it actually impossible as a small independent business to open. So it so I wonder who's making the money in the middle. There's a yeah. book called Choke Point Capitalism that I wrote about in my newsletter the other day, which is saying that it's these big corps, Amazon and Apple and Facebook and Google, and they're choking creativity because they're the ones using, taking the creativity and using it to make money and content and things like that. Yeah. Um, but how do they really expect the creatives to survive once we've been choked out of these industries? How do we keep independent bookshops alive though because I mean I'm as guilty as the next person of using the dreaded Amazon I have to say I mean I live rurally so for me to go to a bookshop is actually you know unless I'm actually already on the high street it's a you know 30 minute drive I can get a book delivered to me the next day from Amazon and that book is normally cheaper than it is in the bookshop I mean I'll I'll tell you now honestly Amazon sell things cheaper than I can buy them from the retailer so the Mm -hmm. wholesaler sometimes so I'll tell you this cute little story. Yesterday, a little boy came into my shop. He's so small. He's about four foot. He was a senior school and sort of wearing this blazer that was too big for him. And he said, have you got the Guinness Book of Records 2023? And I said, oh, no, I don't have it, but I can order it for you. And he said, OK. So I went to look it up at the wholesaler, but it's now called Guinness World Records. So I actually looked at Amazon to find out what it was called because the search engine was better. And as I did, I saw that it was £22. That was the the retail price and Amazon was selling it for eight pound and I could get it from the wholesaler I can't remember what it was exactly maybe like 16 pound something like that and I just said to this little boy he he literally was getting his pocket money out and he was counting it on the floor and I said I'm sorry I can't sell you this book and he said why and I said because you're getting cheaper on Amazon and I can't take your money I'm sorry and um <laughs> that's said, terrible if you're, a, if you're an adult I said I might take your sale I said but I'm sorry I can't take your pocket money oh bless said, you okay I've saved up 150 pound oh. well look if you go home and tell an adult and they want to like support an independent bookshop then feel free to come back and he said to me well it depends really who can get it quicker and I went it's probably Amazon oh no <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I've had similar experience, not quite as heart um, rending as that one. But um, I did a, a thing on Twitter where I um, offered to send copies, free copies of my period book to schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I mean, I can buy them for half the RRP. So say that's like about four quid. 
but by the time I'd I actually had to walk to the post office with them obviously so we're not even thinking about my time or anything here but just in terms of like the cost of the jiffy bags and the Mm -hmm. postage Mm -hmm. um you know I it cost me more to send them to people than if I'd gone on to Amazon put that person's address in and had Amazon post it to them yeah and yeah, yeah, I signed them, but I mean, let's be honest, who really cares about my signature being in a book? <laughs> well, I'm sure those so... who received it cared, but I mean, I hear you totally. I mean, I was sitting there today doing the sums because I launched my website today. I was thinking, am I better to send it straight from the wholesaler to them or do I send it to them via my shop? So I can drop ship from the wholesaler, which is really great. And actually it works out a lot better for me. And they'll receive it within 24 hours or 48 hours, you know, depending on the striking at the moment. So in terms of what do we do? I mean, Amazon is, you know, like your question, you know, you can support a local bookshop and it will cost you more to do that. It just will. There's no getting away from it. You know, we we the books that Amazon sell are some of them are literally cheaper than we can buy them. I you know, have to be honest. It's, it's a shock to me to figure that out as well. So we don't have, as booksellers, we don't have the profit margin to compete. So, but this is the good thing. I have a lot of customers coming in and they're turning away from Amazon um, and they don't want to use Amazon. And actually some of them don't even want to use Waterstones as well. And they want to, so they're active, they're sort of conscious shoppers, you know. Yeah. And, and actually <clears throat> a woman said to me today, because I was talking to her about this, and, and and another actually a, a, another retailer near me who sells records said that he sees people coming in and it's probably happened in my shop but they come in and see a record and look at the shop uh, look at the price and then you see them on their phones checking how much it is on Amazon uh, and then they leave I um, confess well, to having done that yeah yeah no me too I mean I'm not judging these people because absolutely I've done these things too mm. but I have to say from my experience of being independent I will never do it again. But what this woman said to me today was that there is a way for the two things to coexist. So she was saying, you know, if I have a friend and I want to send them a present and they live in Glasgow and it's going to cost me more in postage and blah, 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 then, yeah, I'll I'll use Amazon for that. But if I'm buying something for myself, then I will go and walk down to my local indie bookseller and buy. So I think that she's right. There is a way to use Amazon for your convenience but just are they bear- making are they making so much money and able to sell the books so cheaply because they're just because they're buying in so much bulk? Why are they? So I think much what cheaper? it is is that they've squeezed and squeezed the publishers, from what I understand. So what happened is they made publishers reliant on them. People buy books from them because it's so convenient. The publishers are totally squeezed. I think by Amazon. This is why this book choke point capitalism. You know about this, and they've they've kind of. Like they've got us to rely on them in terms of convenience, they've also got the publishers to rely on them. Um, And so the publishers probably don't make much money. And then that has a knock-on effect to how much they pay in advances to writers, I'm sure. But we as consumers and customers can change that. But it has to be a conscious effort. You know, look at your high street. Look at every high street in every town. It's depressing and we've allowed it to happen for convenience. Yeah. Um, I recently went to a, a Christmas fair in Glastonbury, which I, I don't live too far from Glastonbury. And uh, they were insisting that most of the retailers at the fair were insisting on cash instead of cards, because I think there's another worry there that people have is that we're going to become a cashless society and that that will mm. have 
implications for small businesses and and well and all kinds of implications really but mm. but again it's difficult because you think oh for god's sake i haven't got any cash and da, 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 you know it's it we, we become we start to le- once you start to lean on the convenience yeah that 10 or 15 years ago you, you wouldn't have even dreamt of having anyway mm. it's very hard to sort of give it up that sort of guilty habit isn't it yes yeah, really hard i mean i i'm not criticizing anybody and like i said i've done it myself but it's been really eye opening for me to be at this end of the book the book world you know i went I went from write well, I am writing books, I still write books, and um to selling books and it's yeah, both ends. It's yeah. really difficult. And and the only reason I, I have done the book selling is because it's so hard to make uh, so I'm actually running sort of two jobs at the moment to try and make ends meet. And yeah, my costs of living are higher than they've ever been. I'm probably earning the least that I ever have. And I don't see it getting any better, which sounds really bleak. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> what, what do you think about advances? I mean, you've got a huge experience of, um, you know, publishing and being an author. That's mm. something that I've, I, I was sort of wrestling with in my thoughts this week, and and I have been a lot recently because it just feels, it feels unfair, and it's mm. awful to say that because, and it's you feel it's you feel um scared to raise these conversations because you know how lucky you are, and you don't want to lose your foot in the door that you've already got as a writer and annoy people and upset people but at the same time if nobody talks about um, yeah. how difficult these things are then it's never going to change and it's it's one of those real taboo <clears throat> topics isn't it money anyway but in yeah. terms of you know advances it just seems like I mean I it, it seems to vary so much from from writer to writer of course yeah I mean I've had six figure advances and I've had low five bigger advances um like really low five figure advances and I you know but of course there are some I mean it's bet spreading as well in terms of publishing so there's they save their money for those big titles like the Richard Osman you know those kind of people so yeah you know I understand it's difficult and that that it takes a lot of money to publish a book and I don't think people realize as well and why should they realize that but you know all the marketing all the this or that you know it's a, it's a huge risk for a publisher but you're absolutely right and I remember um and also remember that you know ethnic minorities as well black and brown writers receive much less I mean I actually actually haven't had time to read the article that you were quoting you know from the Guardian well from it's from the Society of Authors isn't it the the I always say it wrong, ALCS or ACLS. Oh, I can't okay. remember which one it is. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I haven't had time to read that this week because, like I said, I've been running two jobs. But um, I do remember um, a couple of years ago, there was this thing going around on Twitter on, like, you know, tell everyone what your advance was. And I remember Mina Kandasamy, um, she was shortlisted for the Women's Prize. Um, yeah, her brilliant book. Um, oh, God. Was it called When I Hit You? I can't remember. No, I'm getting confused. There's so many book titles in my head at the moment. She got 500 quid advance. <gasps> yeah. And that was a prize winning, you know, a prize shortlisted novel. Uh, was auto fiction, actually. I mean, the thing about advances is this. It's not always great to have a big advance. I've had big advances and I, I had a big American advance, for example, and it will never be paid off. So you'll never start earning royalties. But if you're in a huge publishing house, it can feel like you're swallowed up by this big machine and actually they don't put so much effort into your book. You can have a small advance like Mina Kandasami did, 
and she will have earned out I mean almost immediately and be and have royalties which would be a nice little pension for you mm-hmm. um and uh and I've got other ghostwriting friends who don't earn as much money as I have historically um in advances but they do have that trickling in of these year few thousand pound a year from royalties so it's balancing it's being published well I think is actually more important but you've still got to pay the bills um right now also there's there's a difference between fiction and non-fiction which is worth mentioning um that mm-hmm. people don't always realize is that I mean presumably the book you're talking about that got the 500 pound advance she'd already written it um, yeah that's true she would have already written it yeah Whereas the book I'm working on now, I haven't mm. written it and I have to do the work for yeah. whatever the advance is. So and and in and nonfiction books almost always work that way. They they are yeah. commissioned off the back of a proposal rather than um the yeah. finished manuscript. Yeah. And you know, I've written a, a novel as well, um, called The Imposter. Might as well just give it a little plug. And I'll tell you completely honestly financially it did not work out at all it took me five years to write that book and seven years to publication I did two courses that I paid for one was the Faber Academy course um, which was about four and a half thousand pound this was in 2014 so as a single parent I funded myself to do that course and then in 2017, I went and did an MA at um, University of East Anglia, the creative writing MA. And that was, oh, I don't know, like £8,000. Mm. And then if you think of all the hours and all the days and all the months and years, I, I would dread to think how much my hourly rate was. In fact, I think I would be in a huge deficit right now if I did. So fiction for me, that was a huge gamble. Okay, could write a book that's going to get one of those million pound deals that we do read about from time to time, but yeah. I didn't. And no. it, you know, it wasn't worth the risk. I think that's what I was trying to say in my blog as well, is that you know, it's that who takes the who should be the person who's taking that gamble. And to me, it sometimes feels unfair that it's there's a big corporation, a, a massive publisher, you know, in a skyscraper, mm. um, are asking you who's like you know single parent to take to mm. be the person that, that takes the financial risk and yeah. in a way wouldn't it be better if advances reflected at least you know a year's salary or two years salary um that they would perhaps pay somebody that was working for them in their skyscraper <laughs> yeah, yeah. does that make yeah, sense but then if, yes it does but to be fair to the publishers if that's what we I know that that sounds fair but then probably these books wouldn't be published Mm-hmm. Um, and they wouldn't be able to spread their bets so thinly. So there's always, I mean, for example, as a ghostwriter, ghosting, I tend to ghost strong female voices and sort of activists in their areas. I like to write books that can go out there and change the world. And these books are a springboard for those people. And then they go on to do amazing campaigning and amazing work. Um, and they're often called on to be talking heads on TV and things like that. So it's not only about the money. And, and often for these people, they have jobs. So I'm working full time, writing the book for them, and they make themselves available for interviews for me. But they still have that salary coming in. Whereas for the time that I'm writing the book and editing the book, 
and having it legaled and proofreading it and waiting for an editor to read it and pay the advance, I don't have any other income. So yeah, it's not, book publishing is not only about money. It's also about using it as a platform and it can really enhance somebody's career. And yeah, if it ends up on a Sunday Times bestseller list, like a couple of mine have, then that helps me as well. I've got a little cartoon on my fridge at the moment and it says there's no such thing as too many books. Um, But listening to what you're saying is making me think maybe there is. Mm. Um, And maybe it's a bit like what's happened in journalism since it went online, you know, in the sense that they have to generate so much content that literally everybody's at it. And every day it's just, you know, all about content generation. And then the next day everyone's forgotten what all that content was from yesterday. And it, there's, it, it's the, the emphasis is on get some, you know, if there's a, like at the moment, the news story about the, you know, the Royals is, you know, everybody's got to write comment pieces about it mm-hmm. and get it out there, you know, because they've just got to have something on the website about that, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of incentivizing everyone to sort of downgrade their quality. I used to feel like that. Um, well, I still do sometimes when I do freelance journalism, it's like, yeah. you know, I've just got to write this. I've got two hours to write it. I've just, mm-hmm. And they don't really care. I mean, it's um, that's unfair to say they don't care, but they just want it by midday and they yeah. want something, you know, so it's not about whether you can, B.A.A. Gill and kind of craft these amazing sentences and make it all sound hilarious and witty and sharp it's just Mm. bashing it out um and maybe we're doing the same thing with books to a certain extent are we publishing too many books is that why we've got this yeah maybe that is maybe there's something in that I mean I know that during the pandemic people really they were over commissioning and then there was this huge backlog so to then get published after the pandemic was over was very difficult for writers and I know lots of people who well I I had one novel that went out and it wasn't um, picked up I mean I I now have surgery to do on it so it's not you know completely uh, dead in the water (laughs) and it's actually still my favorite book but um, but yeah it was really hard after the pandemic to get published I think publishing can also you know, it reflects the trends, like you're saying about the newspapers, it reflects the trends of the moment. Um, And so, and that doesn't feel like it's done with heart always. And uh, I think sometimes that feels really obvious. And I think that you're right, they do sacrifice sometimes uh, quality for quantity, and and getting something out there that's go that is that zeitgeist, and getting it out quickly, or commissioning loads of them lots of different books that are going to flood that market and they're not always of the best quality for that reason so what's the way forward then what's the way forward (laughs) one of the books that I've been selling out of in my shop is a book by Danny Kane called um called how to resist Amazon and why I'm sure that's the title it's a tiny little book and I actually put it on my counter and put one in the window just to make people sort of, it was almost like a little advertising thing rather than I thought people were going to buy it. And so many people have come in and bought this book. So I believe that people are turning away from the big corps. I think they realise what they've done. Some people, some people are, are never going to. And that's, and that's, just the way it's going to be but this book has been so and it's actually written by an independent bookseller from Kansas and he he wrote this open letter to Jeff Bezos saying what are you doing to us what are you doing to the publishing industry and creatives and independent booksellers I've had people who've come in and ordered all their Christmas presents from me because they 
just so much want to shop local and put money back into local community and that's really lovely what can the publishers do I don't know don't know I think they've just got to just value creators value writers yeah we all are extinct we're like the endangered animals and I said the other day that Amazon's like the gray squirrel um (laughs) who's like coming along and like ruining all the all the red little red squirrel independent shops are just you know becoming less common because the gray squirrels come and gobbled them all up not that that's what happened but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. um, they didn't literally eat them <laughs> no they didn't eat them <laughs> um, but um yeah but I think that um I was looking at some old photographs of little high streets and the parade where my pop-up shop is currently and they were so beautiful like the Victorians had these lovely ornate you know frontages and these thriving communities and thriving shops what makes us more happy what you know we've got to think about we've got to think about what what gives us pleasure and joy in life and is it a beautiful little independent bookshop at the end of your road where you can go and chat and get a hand a book hand sold to you by somebody who knows it or is it just that convenience and I guess that's really up to the consumer to decide isn't it really yeah but do you think is there a relationship I'm terrible at sort of economics but do you think there's a relationship between what you're talking about a sort of return to the high street and a, a turning our back on these big corporations and the writer's position um how are those two things connected well I suppose that um I suppose they are connected because if you buy look at that Guinness World Records book you know if you buy it from an independent it's 22 pound um, the publisher will get more money. Um, if you buy it from Amazon, it's £8. I I mean, um, Amazon will sell. And, you know, Amazon sell my books, so I don't want them to, like, cancel me for this. <laughs> but, like, um, they will sell bulk loads of books and get them up the, the, the list for the publishers. But the publishers are being choked. So, actually, if you are willing to acknowledge the, the time and the effort and the craft that's gone into a book and pay full price for it you are actually um contributing to this ecosystem that not only keeps books being published by publishers it keeps independent shops there and it keeps writers writing so you you know i do believe that customers choosing to do that that's quite a big act that they're not even aware of yeah i think it is all related it's actually really useful and it's really joined up the dots for me as well between, okay. you know, the, the whole publishing industry and, and and also, you know, other things that I'm passionate about beyond that in terms of, you know, turning our back a little bit on, not turning our back on social media and technology, but kind of like we need to perhaps reconnect with what's important. Real um, human connections. And I yeah. felt after the pandemic that we should turn back to going out and and seeing a little shopkeeper and having that interaction you know as a writer I'm always in my house on my own writing when the pandemic happened there wasn't much difference for me because that's just how I lived anyway but I wanted to be out in the world again and I wanted to see humans and have contact and yeah a lady came into my shop yesterday I'll just end on this little story she came into my shop yesterday she looked at all the books she spent a long time there I asked her if she needed any help she said no And after about 10 or 15 minutes, she said, thank you so much. And I said, oh, you're welcome. She said, I've had a really nice time. And she left. 
She didn't buy a single book. And although I've been moaning about people who come in and leave without buying things, how actually nice is that that she said to me, I thank you, I've had a really nice time. I mean, just as a little human to human thing. Yeah. That's quite yeah. valuable, right? I hope she comes back as well, because I often do in situations like that. You know, it's not that I'm not ever going to buy something in that shop. It's just that maybe I've suddenly realized the time or I need yeah. to think about it some more. But that's enough for me, actually. I, I would have liked to have sold a book that day to her. But I think, you know, I'll take that. She had a really nice time looking around my bookshop. Well, I hope it your bookshop does keep going. And uh, I'll keep following your Substack to find out. Yeah, thank you. I'll keep following yours, see how this book turns out. (laughs) (laughs) If I ever get it written. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Book Forge. You can find out more about me, my existing three non-fiction books, and my progress on book four via my Substack, The Book Forge. Just go to thebookforge.substack.com. You can subscribe for free, But if you want to support my work and get access to every single post, please consider a paid subscription.